This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin, and with me this week, just one one person who I enjoy to talk to about comic books, and that is Nick White. Hey. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Uh, we are here to talk about a very special comic book to our hearts, a comic that we've been journeying through together as a strange pair of individuals into this terrible horror hellscape that is ice cream man today we are talking about ice cream man volume four tiny lives this is a full-blown spoiler alert for ice cream man volume four this is issues 13 through 16 so if you haven't read them stop this podcast go read them and then turn this episode back on but nick can we can we just go into this issue saying what the fuck as always <laughs> yeah i i think that's always the resounding takeaway yeah 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 i mean we so you and i we we read this pretty recently it came out a little while ago um but i think we both had the chance to sit down and read this for this episode i mean this is as always w maxwell prince with martin morazzo uh chris o'halloran on colors and good old neon on letters uh this is maybe one of the most anthology-esque volumes yet i think compared to the previous three volumes this this one in particular for me felt the most like an anthology horror series and i'm wondering if maybe that's what we're getting back to is the did the continuity go away um what what were your thoughts just high level really quick before we dig into each of the issues yeah you know um something i was thinking about yesterday was sort of when you look at these sets of issues as trades and as volumes and sort of how they interact with each other. Because I think one of the initial things that I'll say high level about volume four is in some ways I kind of struggled with where to place it amongst everything else. And I think kind of the conclusion sure. I came to was that like with each subsequent volume, um, like if you've read volume one and you're about to read volume two, a lot of the ideas in volume two um, and, and not even like the story or the narrative, but in terms of the tone and the tropes and the structure, like the next volume relies on you having the knowledge of the tropes and the structure of the previous volume, mm-hmm. but it's not going, but it's also going to subvert them. So it relies on the knowledge, but it's also not going to give you more of that. It's going to subvert it. And so I think like if volume one set up a lot of these things, I think that kind of gave volume two sort of the freedom to flesh out some of those ideas. And then I think three Mm -hmm. was more about giving you prologue, giving you sort of a prequel-esque sort of back history, giving you interaction between Caleb and Ice Cream Man. And then, yeah, the question for me is like, how do you feel about volume four? What does it build upon? And I think for me, the TLDR version would be that um, w maxwell prince now knows that because you've made it through these other three volumes you're comfortable with maybe comfortable is the wrong word i'm not sure it makes you anybody comfortable you're familiar with how much he likes to play with form and i think that mm-hmm. is a lot of what volume four is about you're right it's very anthology oriented it's definitely a step away from volume three in that regards but it's really about him playing with form and i think people that maybe really dug volume three for what it was um maybe they're not going to like volume four as much just an idea i i i I mean i almost wonder uh if if though if you did if you like volume three for some of the maybe continuity stuff maybe you'll like volume four because of the 
anthology portion that you got similar in volume one, right? Like volume one was just a series of random stories and we didn't really get any continuity until I think the last issue of that volume. And so, you know, I think maybe they're going in every other volume kind of thing. I don't know, but let, let's, let's dig into this, this volume on the whole, right? Like volume four starts with the, what I remember being this iconic palindrome issue. I remember seeing people talk about it online. Um, I think there was even like an idea of like, this is what an Eisner nominated issue is supposed to be like. And I remember Maxwell W. Maxwell Prince talking about this being like a really challenging issue to write. So, you know, going into this, I, there's a big disclaimer on this issue that says this comic is a palindrome. It can be read forwards from first to last or backwards from last to first, um, which means that if you're reading it forward you read it from you know left to right top to bottom but if you're reading it backward you're supposed to read it um right to left bottom to top which i have to imagine that if you bought this single issue you'd be very confused but i i like that in the digital edition which is what i read in as a volume um they printed the comic and then they printed it backwards or maybe it was actually done that way in in, in both situations i don't know but nick what, what was your takeaway from from this first issue um because i, I want to go through this one in particular issue by issue because i think it warrants that because there's a bigger story thing that i want to get to in the end so um this palindrome thing was wild right yeah i mean i think it did run the danger with me of being maybe like it had a lot of hype and praise to love live up to right because we were hearing some yeah. of this news as it was rolling out as a single issue and then of course we heard more of it when it got rolled out as a trade and then sort of it kind of snowballed in terms of praise and so it had a lot to live up to um i think i i think what's really interesting is because you have this preface right out of the gate like you can read this issue both ways and with the implicit assumption in of, well, you're probably going to read it front to back at the very least first, um, assuming you even read it both ways. Um, sure. I, I think having that warning first, it, it's, it's useful to have it in terms of like dealing with confused readers. Right. But I think also having that warning plants a seed in readers minds that while you're reading this issue, or at least it did for me, I recognize I'm not normal, quote unquote, um, like it planted the seed in my mind of while you're reading this, think about this issue in terms of the fact that it can be flipped, right? So when I was yeah. reading that first yeah. page and it's this big splash page and there's just like a one sentence caption, my brain was automatically going to imagine that this is now the final panel of a story, you know? What does mm -hmm, that mean? Mm -hmm. What does that shit? What does that sound like to you? How does that shape how you're reading this? Like it's it was kind of an interesting way to sort of twist your brain into a different way of of thinking about it. Yeah, which yeah. I I really liked. Um, it's interesting that this issue includes a lot of language that can kind of double as both being like colloquial turns of phrase as well as being deliberately directional so at one point yeah. paul is told about his life you know paul is dealing with the the death of his spouse and people are telling paul that he needs to move forward which of course if you're if you're reading <laughs> the issue front to back you also have this directional kind of speech going on there um there's another spot where um he's told that there's just just one way to go which of course is kind of interesting because when we're referring to this issue, there's not just one way to go. It can be read either way. So you kind yeah. of have this directional talk going on. And then the rest of the issue really gets framed with this idea that Paul 
again, if you're reading it, you know, um, uh, or at least my experience was he finds this manhole in his front yard. The manhole um, cover ominously says underground. Um, the ice cream man truck is parked right outside. And of course, he decides that he's going to go down the manhole um, seeking answers. I think he says he's trying to get going to get answers from the king of the underworld, I think is the phrase that's used. Right. Yep. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think what's interesting from there is that you have a lot of panels that are very carefully, and that's probably even an understatement, very carefully constructed to be read both ways. So when you have him holding a balloon in the middle of like an open space and he's floating, is he going, is he ascending or is he descending, right? Right. And that all depends on the panel order, of yep. course, <laughs> which I, I thought was really interesting that they had done uh, a, you know, a mirror image flip of a lot of these pages, yeah. um, which I, I just, I want to talk about more, but yeah, continue your thought, and then I'll yeah. Go into and it. and in in the same way, you have um, panels where Paul is on a ladder, and is he going up or is he going down? And then when you look at the caption on the panel, it says something like back and forth or up and down. So depending upon which way you're reading the comic. W. Maxwell Prince has sort of given himself um, some um, leeway in terms of the captioning still being correct, no matter which way you're right. reading the comic, which is so clever. Yeah, and I, I think that's, you know, that's the genius of this. And I, I one thing that I was thinking about was, you know, this isn't just a mirror image flip um, of the of the story, right? This isn't necessarily like a, you know, you fold something in half and then it gets, you know, ripped represented and now right becomes left and left becomes right um th this is a full swip or swap where the top becomes the bottom and and so on and so forth when they do the printed version of the palindrome um because the thing that this made me think of was there's a chapter in watchmen that uses this similar technique like it doesn't necessarily supposed to be read front to back back to front but in in watchmen and this is the only book that i can think of you know someone out there at me if you know of another example where you know Dave Gibbons and, and Alan Moore they had came come up with an issue where if you folded each page um, on top of its like opposite right so page one and page twenty two um, the panel layout would be the same if you ran oh, them face to face to each gosh. other I thought that it's a really interesting thing with like even the action even the thought even the bubbles and captions and stuff all line up for the most part um, but this is not that this is a full flip in reverse right like top becomes bottom left becomes right and the only thing that doesn't change is the text um the and it, it, i should say the imagery doesn't change within the panels but the layout of the page changes it and because of that it allows you to have a completely different tone and look at the issue now i thought that both you know forward and backward were pretty depressing because this is ice cream man and it's not like we really get many happy endings at all right. um though it seems like the, you know, reading from back to front um, was a little bit more uplifting, but kind of cynical, right? Like the ending becomes, well, that's one way to go. Move forward, Paul. People sure love to give advice. Um, like that to me seems a little bit more uplifting. Like this dude came out of hell and realized that he could live his life. Um, but I don't know. There's there's a lot to take away from this, which is going to kind of play into a bigger point. Um, but 
Was there anything else you want to talk about of this palindrome issue, Nick? I mean, because it's ultimately creepy. And even, you know, characters within the story use palindromes in their speech, which I didn't catch the first time I read through it. Um, It took like my, I should say, when I read the first direction i didn't realize it but then when i got to the reverse i was starting to look for more and more palindromes and there's plenty of them throughout (laughs) yeah i didn't despite the issue being titled palindromes uh it never clicked with me that the reason a lot of the speech seemed so weird and nonsensical was because it was palindromes yeah i i Mm -hmm. I just Mm -hmm. chalked that up to crazy um yeah, the the one thing I, I kind of took away or sort of focused on was the fact that when it, I kind of framed the issue in my mind as sort of you can work at this from the front or you can work at this from the back, like my kind of thing I focused on was what happens when the two meet, like what happens at the center. Oh, yeah. And what's interesting is that there's one panel at the middle that is shared by both forward and backward. If you're reading it forward mm-hmm. or you're reading it backward, each one mirrors the other in the sense of having the exact same panels. As you said, they're rearranged, but each has its own respective panel mirroring the other, except mm-hmm. at the very middle of the book where they share the same panel. Um, and yes, in some ways, if you split the panel down the middle, there is some symmetry but it's not a perfect symmetry. And I thought that that was no, kind of interesting too. by a long shot. I don't think like it's, I mean, there, I guess, yeah, there's a little bit well, of you symmetry. You have both Paul's it, in the lower left-hand corner of the panel and the other one in the lower right-hand corner of the panel. And if mm-hmm. you take the throne and you split it down the middle, there's some symmetry, but yeah, if you look at the right, faces, but the blood splatter is, the, yeah, the blood splatter no, isn't, uh, yeah, the faces aren't. And I was curious to think, are some of these faces people from different issues from previous issues? I want to say yes. My mind went to the exact same place and offhand mm-hmm. without revisiting previous volumes. I thought maybe I noticed one or two, but not a lot. I think the yeah, you have the story in the first issue of the two people that are like, um, I think they're like heroin users. If you remember this, Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. the boyfriend of the two survives. Um, I think his face was on the right-hand side of the throne in about the middle. Um, okay. But I certainly didn't see other ones where I immediately thought, oh, I, I know these people. So I didn't know what to make of that. But I think that there's something to be said about, you know, the, there's this throne presumably it's the throne of the king of the underworld um it's the person that paul was going to get answers from and the throne is empty and he has no one to address so um make of that what you will i think there's probably some deeper interpretation there to go into um i just don't know what to say about it myself i think it's also interesting tonally that this issue kind of has a different take than say um an issue like triptych where it's the idea that you can make decisions and end up in very different places um than if you'd made different decisions and yet this issue sort of feels more like um like regardless of what you do you will end up in the same place or you will end up uh there's sort of like an inevitability with this issue an unavoidability Mm -hmm. of things Mm -hmm. so Right, which which definitely goes against some of the stuff that we've seen in in previous issues, and I, 
I don't know if W. Maximal Prince has like a, a long game in, in mind, but I, I he does have a tendency to just kind of blend different story types to fit within this universe. And I wonder if there is a, a bigger answer that we're going to see. I, I think there is because um, I was skimming through part of volume three, specifically the issue where we see like the old man and Caleb and, and Rick, the ice cream man, and the old man dies, right? And he tells Rick that like all of this is like matters or all of this is one story. Um, and I don't know if that's supposed to be taken, you know, literally or something, mm-hmm. but you know, as the old man dies in the fort or out in the desert, maybe this is in volume two. Uh, no, maybe I, th- I'm I think two. this is three. He said eager. Yeah, to no, be it proven is. It wrong. is yeah. Yeah, it is. It is three. And you know, this, this old man, he is killed by Rick and he, you know, he says to him onto the next one, Caleb, everything is one thing which like I think was a big question when we read the last volume anyways. So again, it's not to detract too much, but like, yeah, it seems like there is something that I think W Maxwell Prince is trying to explain with continuity and we just haven't gotten the answer yet. I'm, I, I think if we, if we go into some of the next stories, maybe we can explore that further. Yeah. So um, is there anything else you wanted to mention about this, this first issue? I realize it's probably the big, the big whammy in this volume, but right. I know these next ones have some pretty cool points. Yeah, I mean, the final thought I would say is, is when I finished it, I think my kind of takeaway in some ways was, gee, it seems like Ice Cream Man really isn't that present in this issue. He doesn't seem to maybe be pulling strings. I found that kind of mm-hmm. interesting. His presence seems kind of diminished. Um, and I think I sort of took that idea with me as I started visiting these other stories. Sure, sure. I mean, and it's yeah, we'll, we'll see as we as we get into the next few ones. Like Ice Cream Man's presence in this volume is actually pretty pretty minimal. But you know, as so moving on to you know issue number fourteen, this is uh, down and across, uh, which has a wonderful cover. You know, um, with a, a little bit of a crossword of sorts on the front, which is pretty fun. Um, and yeah, we you know we we have a story about a man and his wife who don't really talk anymore. They obviously or they have some bit of marital trouble as we find out. And um, the the man's wife uh, she begins to hallucinate. Her name is Rita. She begins to hallucinate that the people that are building their guest house are murderous, rampaging folks. She's freaking out about one of them not wearing a shirt. Quote unquote um, hallucinate. Uh, yeah, quote unquote hallucinate, which we'll we'll get into. <laughs> and uh, the husband runs out to go get more crosswords, where he runs into Ice Cream Man, and things kind of come to a head as uh, he begins to hallucinate some awful things about um, their past, including their child dying from in, as a stillborn. Um, and Rita begins to see more hallucinations, and as the husband runs home, uh, <laughs> he starts to see all sorts of bad things, and she almost shoots him. And the story ends almost in a happy note. Um, I don't know, Nick. What What do you think? I, I have a thought about this because on the whole, we've seen these, uh, you know, black void eyed terrors, um, I think, in previous issues. Right. But um, I, I mostly just really love the panel layouts in this where the entire thing kind of feels like a giant crossword puzzle. Um, but yeah, what were your thoughts on this? Well, I mean, first off, this is one of those issues that if you have an eye for details, you're going to go insane or you're going to love it. I mm-hmm. guess take that however you want. Um, for me, in some ways, this story somewhat falls into other ones we've seen in volumes, especially volumes one and two, um, where it's sort of a, a be careful what you wish for 
kind of thing. Um, we've mm-hmm. seen this in, in other stories with like the, the musician who always wanted to be a star. Um, I think that was volume one. Uh, and in this one, we have this guy who just wants to um, do his crosswords. And, um, you know, he uh, he goes to the store and uh, to the five and dime, which I'm sure some readers caught the store right next to the five and dime is named O'Halloran's, which I thought was kind of funny, uh, given that that's the colorist. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I did notice some other interesting little details. When Earl is initially doing the crossword, we get a glimpse of it. And most of the answers are cut off or cropped out, except for the phrase lickety split. Um, yeah. yeah. Also, if you look a little bit closer, even though these clues are somewhat cut off, I think we can parse that one of them is the word ambulance, which is an interesting callback to the end of volume two for pretty obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's also the word kill, which I mean, you can't just you can't do much about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, what do you want? I mean, like, that's this book. Uh, but yeah, you're right. The The wife, Rita, is mad because contractors working on their house are smoking doobies while they're working on it. Um, you know, Earl says that doesn't matter because, you know, who cares about having a guest house if you're never, never going to have any guests? And then that just devolves from there exactly as you would expect an argument to. Um, of course, Ice Cream Man is running the five and dime. Um, this is pretty much all we see of him in this story. He's not in it for very long. It's also kind of interesting because I think in a lot of previous stories, there's usually a panel or a cutaway or something that hints at a slightly more sinister ice cream man, or it's sort of that like turn to camera shot. And he, you know, shows a glimpse of his, like his weird teeth or something like that. And we just don't have those many moments that are like that in this book. I think he's pretty quote unquote normal which is, is is a little bit, you know, disconcerting and weird. Um, well, he's kind of just present in the background yeah. of the story. Like he doesn't need to, it, like, it doesn't seem like he needs to have like overt influence on something mm-hmm. or maybe, and this kind of begs a bigger question, like his presence is so prevalent that he doesn't need to be involved in these little scenarios because these things just sort of happen on their own. There's kind of a question there because while Earl is having interactions with him at this, at the five and dime, like where is Rita's interaction with him um, that would cause her to hallucinate? And that, that, that kind of begs a bigger question of, of where these horrors are coming from, because there's nothing that says that gives us a reason to why she would be hallucinating unless it's something about these guys that are working on the house and maybe she is realizing something because there's kind of an uh, ambiguity at the end that these guys maybe are as bad as they are as she thinks they are. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So because, you know, they they drive off in the end and they have the masks mm-hmm. on again. And, you know, one of them has like these black eyes. One of them has green eyes like Ice Cream Man. He's got a mask and, and there's a third guy with a mask on. So I don't know. It, it's it's it kind of begs a bigger question that I think we talked about in volume two, which is, you know, how much has ice cream man taken over this town or this city, which to me actually asks another question of, is it just one town? Is it just one city? Um, because it, I think in volume three, we see that he's in like Costa Rica or something. He's in like a, a South well, we American we see him country. on the border. There's that, there's the story oh, the called border, like a yeah, border story true. or something like that. That's yeah, yeah. you're right. Sorry. Yeah. I don't know why I said Costa Rica. It was clearly Mexico. I'm just an idiot. Well, we also have the story, um, with the, um, the big corporate office in the Skyrise, um, uh, sort of skyscraper where everybody's going mad mm-hmm. and we know that that's like supposed to be several towns over or something like that but yeah, yeah. but i see your point yeah um 
No, I, I, I think, I think this story kind of goes to some interesting places. We do see that, um, you know, Earl chooses to do this crossword, and unfortunately, a lot of the crossword seems to be about um, relationship problems, about um, sort of personal tragedies with his within his own life, uh, mm-hmm. and so we have a lot of things like that, and simultaneously you, you as you said you have rita um becoming increasingly more and more paranoid um that something is going on with these contractors to the point that she believes that they are going to try to kill her um interestingly simultaneously both earl and rita th- decide that their problem is going to be remedied with a gun um which I thought was interesting. They both arrive kind of at the same thought, but with very different intentions about what to do with that item. Um, I thought that was curious. Obviously, Mm -hmm. um, Earl is thinking about shooting himself. Rita is thinking about shooting the contractors. Um, And they both arrive at the the gun, which is really also interesting. I don't know if you caught this throughout the issue. um, Earl says something about how he likes the crossword because it forces his vocabulary to move outside of the normal, boring, banal day-to-day terms that are thrown at him, like fixed rate mortgage or something like that. And one of those Mm -hmm. terms is like, um, you know nightstand you know gun in nightstand or something like that like it's it's mentioned earlier no i did not i did not notice that one of the terms dropped is like nightstand gun or something like that um which i thought was you know almost like chekhov's gun right like you know yeah you've got to reveal it in the third act um so both kind of arrive at that at the same time and i think yeah i mean my I don't know. Like I, I, I struggle with the story because I think I think Earl's part makes sense in a way, in the twisted way that these narratives tend to go, because it's sort of um forcing someone to rehash personal tragedy. That's pretty much a common theme with a lot of these stories. Um mm-hmm. giving something you know, be careful what you wish for, another pretty common theme in these stories. What you yeah. make of Rita's tale, I think, is what gets trickier. For me, I kind of look at it as, you know, she criticizes the crossword puzzle. She says it's a waste of time. You know, he's not getting out there, meeting people, socializing. I think she says something like, when was the last time you talked with Ted, whomever Ted is? Um, But at the same time, I think what we're seeing is that she is also kind of bored and she's kind of she's reached that point where she's just maybe trying to find things to obsess over. She's trying to find things to be upset about. And so for me, I kind of interpret her dealing with the contractors as sort of like, she's looking for things to be unhappy about, or she's looking Mm -hmm. for things to be upset about or to fixate on. And I think in that regard, maybe, you know, she says, you know, Earl, what you're doing isn't great, but, she doesn't seem to be actively engaging herself in, you know, keeping herself busy either. Sure. Um, of course, what gets tricky is like, what do you make of the fact that these guys seemingly try to kill her or that they suddenly like transform into like the, their Mad Max alter egos. Right. <laughs> um, right. With that weird mask and shit. And yeah, what, what what do you make of that? I don't know. Um, 
Well, it, it, that that seems to be like like a. I don't know, like a classic, a classic ice cream man influence. The thing, the thing that I thought was interesting was kind of the break in the story. Um, not to completely just like move off of that, that piece, but I, I, the thing that I was, I was just skimming through here again. And I, I forgot that I had noticed this last night. Mm. Um, there is a moment where Earl is doing crosswords and, you know, anytime we see that like times new Roman in caption, usually that's ice cream man narrating something. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so he's narrating, talking about Earl. And then at one point, Earl is sitting down on a park bench doing his crossword and he starts to hear ice cream man's voice. Um, and I think that's where the story starts to really kind of kick into high gear to wrap itself up where Earl starts questioning these captions, like whose voice is that? Who's there? Um, and he starts talking to the captions. And I think we've seen that in previous issues where someone suddenly realizes that someone is that there is an, a voice out there that's narrating their lives. Right. right. This, this kind of semi omniscient uh, narrator becomes like actively aware by the or the the characters become aware of it there, there is an intention there right is 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 ice cream man trying to break down a wall in that moment and suddenly the characters are aware of it because um, ice cream man clearly isn't omniscient he doesn't know everything that's going to happen um or he's not omnipotent or whatever you want to call well, it well right? it's also interesting um, because omnipotent. when you have ice cream man doing that he starts um after you have uh earl on the bench ice cream man starts saying like oh like what's a six letter word for you know, when your daughter, when your daughter was born or things like this. And so ice cream man starts dictating these terms. Right. And he says, solve Mm -hmm. this puzzle. Give me the answer to this. Tell me what this means. And there's a point where Earl snaps out of it. And Earl says something like, Oh, like what's a four letter word? You know, I shouldn't be doing this. What's a four letter word for where I belong or, you know, there's no place like whatever. And so Earl flips the script on ice cream man and he starts coming up with his own, questions that he wants to answer which i thought was interesting and so you have this moment where earl kind of flips the script and says no like i'm going to call the terms on this right i mean and this is this maybe even begs a question of is this somebody pushing back against ice cream man for really the first time and succeeding because by the end of this issue you know both earl and rita are fine Right. There's Outside just of this the fact whole... that one nearly murders the other yes mm-hmm. well right, but all things <laughs> considered all things considered, you know, compared to a lot of other stories, especially some even in this issue or in this volume, right. like these two people end up mostly OK. I mean, compared to a lot of others. Um, so is this an example of someone just getting one over an ice cream man or was the actual story about these, you know, three contractors suddenly becoming influenced with, you know, evil powers, which is kind of what we see at the end? Well, it also kind of has that element, which I which I think we've seen in other stories, which is that ice cream man simultaneously with people is sometimes trying to a it's like a really twisted like fable because he's trying to make people learn maybe about something that they're doing in their life that is unhealthy or that maybe needs to change um but then also he's totally okay with and completely on board with um you know sometimes you 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 learn the lesson but it kills you or you yeah or you you figure things out but it's too late right like we've we've seen this with other other narratives and 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 I can't immediately think of um one that comes to mind but yeah in this one you have this idea of you know the Rita and Earl you know um coming to terms with the fact that you know maybe they need to change up or or um um put more effort into their relationship or something like that right um, of course, yeah. the thing is that in, in coming to that realization, they do um, ultimately 
you know, nearly kill one another or themselves. So, and that of course is something Mm -hmm. ice cream man is totally okay with. Yeah. The other thing I would point out in this issue, and I think I'm just going to briefly mention it here because I think you're going to see a lot of it more, a lot of, a lot more of it in subsequent stories. And I think we can talk about it also as an overall overarching theme at the end is that you start to see a real ubiquity for ice cream brand, ice cream man branding. It is all over over everything now. (laughs) When you go into the five and dime, it's on like, I don't even know what to describe it. Like, I think we've all seen like those like mini like portable cooler thingies and like gas stations where they're like filled with ice and they're only like three feet tall. And it's just like one on like wheels and you push it around and they fill it with ice and they put pops in it. Like there's one of those that says ice cream man. Um, the, um, the uh, advertising panel over the top of the cashier station that says ice cream man. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, there's like a little, you know, the gimmicky shit that you see like on the cashier's counter that you can buy right at the register. And it's like lighters or batteries or whatever. Like there's little, what look like ice cream man lighters. And, and those say mm-hmm. ICM. Mm-hmm. Um, you're seeing a lot of this. And as this trade goes on, you are just going to see, more and more and more and more of this and i think that there's an overarching argument to be made about that well yeah i think in you know let's and let's let's just get into the next issue with that because it's it's all over the next issue in the fourth you know the last issue in this volume and i think that maybe is them trying to explain the pervasiveness Mm. of oh totally of ice cream man like he is everywhere he's in everything he's on news he's unchallenged and unchecked yeah, and he's he's become a part of the social norm. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I don't think these necessarily these horrors or anything that are normal, but I think that his influence is part of everything. Um and maybe that's what they're trying to say there. And maybe that's what this volume is. Like these people are experiencing these things because Ice Cream Man, like I said before, doesn't have to be involved directly with any of these things. No. Instead, it's just his presence is so pervasive that it is it's a part of the, the shit's the, kind the of on world. autopilot now. Yeah. It's driving right. itself, which I, I guess, you know, gets us into this next issue called, you know, coat story check where a woman finds a coat um, and then coat. goes crazy yeah. at the end. Right. That's that's all the story coat check story for me. Offhand is probably the one that I quote unquote understand the least. <laughs> OK. Yeah. Explain. Yeah. Explain. I, there was a lot here that I didn't know how to parse. And I think there's a lot of meaning laden in this issue that I really didn't know what to do with. So at the core, the issue involves this um, woman named uh, Lillian and she is uh, on a date towards the beginning of the issue, which she um, cuts out on goes to get her coat from the coat check station, which is run by ice cream man. Um, And he, he offers her a coat that is not hers. And she's pretty dang well aware that it's not hers. Um, Unsurprisingly, it's a little hard to read, but if you zoom in on the label on the coat, it does say ICM, which will probably surprise nobody. Um, And of course, what I think is interesting is that, as I said, it's not an issue of it being, a super similar coat and she just takes it. She's fully well aware that it is not her coat says something mm-hmm. to the extent of, Oh, I just needed a new coat anyways. 
and takes it. And yeah, that's not like that's not a good way to sort of garnish sympathy right out of the gate for this person. Yeah. Um, and um, we we sort of follow her as she goes um, walking, I think, through the city to go visit, um, I believe, her mom. No, I'm sorry. Well, she, I'm she, sorry. She's, she's going back to a friend's house. Right. Yeah, well, I think it's like her her current friends with benefits yeah. mm-hmm. that she's with. Mm-hmm. Exactly, um, exactly. And then and then the next day she has to go visit her mom after she has a horrible nightmare where her friend slash uh, lover yep. uh, tries to jump her in the middle of the night with a mask on, mind you. Note, there's a mask in this one, too. And note um, that it's aesthetically similar and yet not the same to the Mad Max slash Fallout 1 that we see. Uh-huh. Um towards the end of issue 14 right what does one make of that i don't i i don't know i don't know other than that it is a recurring imagery that's it yeah i i have a theory but let's let's get through the rest of this issue and then you know we can talk about that because you know she lillian she has to go you know visit her mom to give her a bath and her mom is focused on all these various items Mm -hmm. and at the beginning of this issue we see you know lillian in a a mental asylum right. um and or a mental institution and she's kind of chiming on about some weird things focusing on objects and when we finally see her mom in this flashback um she's doing her mom's doing the exact same thing right. um and it is it is it is very sad yes. <laughs> to say the least yeah. and her mom has this teddy bear with the ice cream man hat on it which you will see i think uh, I think it finds its way into three out of the four stories in this book, which is hmm. interesting. I did not notice. That. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I should say I didn't put that together. Yeah. Um, and I think ultimately, um, you know, she's seeing these different things. I think there's commentary about bugs. She sees this boy that's carrying a balloon and tells her, you know, you shouldn't, um, quote, you shouldn't wear someone else's jacket, Lillian, which, I mean, solid advice. Um, Oh, yeah, there was a finger in the pocket of the jacket. Right, which is also interesting because there's a moment when she's talking to her mom, and her mom says, oh, yeah, this nice boy came over here with a balloon. Um, We were playing games. One of these games was counting to 10 on our fingers, but I could only count to 9, which I immediately went, okay, there's going to be a finger somewhere down the line. Sure enough, there is. It's in the pocket of the coat. Um, what do we make of all of this? I don't know. I think if there's like an overarching kind of theme or universal idea that we sort of hit at that I think W. Maxwell Prince knows will ring true for a lot of people, um, it's maybe uh, the fear that we, we grow up to resemble or become our parents, um, whether that's in terms of attitudes or behavior or in terms of uh, genetics, in terms of, you know, if, 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 our, if our family members were dealing with some, you know, malady of one sort or another, the, the fear that we too will, will face that um, and whether mm-hmm. or not maybe even that becomes like self-fulfilling, I don't know. Because I think in some ways, in some ways in this story, you wonder about, how exactly that's playing out for Lillian. So 
Yeah, there's a lot of other stuff to dig into. When Lillian runs onto the subway, I don't know if you saw this, but on the steps running down into the subway, there's like messages. And it says something about like, are you having hallucinations too or something like that? And then there's a billboard on the back wall of the subway, which is mostly blocked by like the sub, like the girders or whatever holding the subway up. But you can still get the letters ICM and then a bow tie symbol. Yeah, Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's ICM is all over the place. I mean, Lily Lillian ends up in a in a room in this somehow in the subway that the boy the fly, with the with the balloon points her towards, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it's it's you know a million different versions of Lily in the same coat. I mean, largely different hair colors. That, yum. Yeah, they all have different hair colors, and I think they kind of represent like different realities to a certain extent. That's what I took from it. Um, so I I don't know there because there's there's this by the time that we get to the end of this you know the the boy is back with the with the balloon and he says you know come your throne waits sit and be queen of the lilies like she is the final version of all of herself or something I, I I don't know what necessarily to take away from that my my overall thought was that you know she worries that she's going to become her mother and then she does mm-hmm. um and that's that's like fear playing into itself. Um, right. simply because you 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 thought it and you wanted to avoid it therefore it became that thing um, versus you know not worrying about it so uh, but the end of the issue ends with you know this this field of lilies covered in bugs which again ice cream man bugs destruction chaos all this stuff um, I don't know it's it's wild there, this this issue again kind of plugs into this idea that I have that this whole volume is about images becoming reality or like mirrors be, you know distorting reality um but we can we can get into that in a second before we, we get to the next issue i guess or when we after we get to the next issue yeah and i mean like the only other thing i would say about this is it is kind of interesting that when she first meets the boy with the balloon um he accuses her of being from the garden underground i think is the phrase thrown around which I think underground again. Well, I, I, yes, yes. I, there is sort of an, a theme of underground, which is interesting, uh, uh, especially cause that's where a lot of bugs are. And we know about how much ice cream man loves bugs. Um, it's mm-hmm. interesting for me because I, I understood when I finished the story and revisited that I understood that the boy with the balloon was basically saying something to the effect of, Hey, don't you belong with all of the other Lillian's? you know, in the garden underground, mm-hmm. um, whatever you want to call that place. He's basically saying like, you know, aren't you supposed to be with the rest of them? And of course you don't understand what that is until you finish the story. Um, as for what to make of the, uh, dozens of lilies, I, I didn't know what to extrapolate from that, but, um, well, there's, you know, I, I think um, just kind of reflecting on it now, you know, Lily in in the subway, there's a bunch of different hair color, hair colors that she's wearing and they all have coats on. And if you look at the last page of this issue, there's a bunch of different lilies in a field all with with similar colors. Hmm. So I'm wondering if there's there's some imagery that message that I'm just not or metaphor that I'm not picking up, um, especially with Ice Cream Man's final line in this issue being thistles must be cut down before they flower. I don't fucking know enough about flowers. Yeah, to be able there's to a lot of flower verbiage in this issue that I yeah, know yeah, to make of. Um, yeah, it's uh, 
Also, it's worth noting that there's a lot of crossword puzzle imagery that finds its way into this issue. If you look at the yes. shirt that Lillian's wearing on the date, it's definitely looks like a crossword puzzle. Um, mm -hmm. Also, if you... Especially on the cover, too. Yeah, and if you look at the painting in her lover's apartment, that also looks like a crossword puzzle. Um, if you look at the, I think it's the rug at her mom's house. It also looks like a crossword puzzle. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, Nick, is it just checkerboard patterns or vaguely resembling checkerboard patterns? Sure, but it's hard to ignore. Um, right. I, yeah, there's a rug. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I didn't even notice that in my first yep. read. The, the, this, see, and this is, this is kind of like, anyways, yeah, this is getting to that whole mirroring thing, right? Like things, even at the end of the the crossword issue there's this weird palindrome image or whatever you call it that something you could fold across from each other it's like mirrored yeah um, both vertical and horizontally um there there's definitely something that i think he's trying to say in this volume about like reversing images and like things that reflect upon themselves or even like what sort um, of meaning do you pull from repeated imagery right like yeah, what sort of yeah. like meaning are you uh, creating possibly? What sort of meaning are you self-creating out of recurring imagery? Because, yeah, once you start finding, you know, you say, oh, this looks like a checkerboard pattern. And then you see Lillian's shirt and you're like, oh, that looks like a checkerboard pattern. And then you're like, mm -hmm. with the painting, you're like, well, it's close enough. So I'm going to loop it in. And then you're like, well, the rug doesn't look exactly like it, but it's still close enough. So it's sort of. I think in some ways, I you know, W. Maxwell Prince has gotten in your head to start hunting out this imagery and then asking, like, what 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 meaning are you providing this? You know? Yeah. Um, well, I'm I'm sure there's there's some sort of like interconnectedness between these stories that we're probably supposed to draw out of it because, like, I think you said this this volume really contains, or you know, we were talking about this is more of an anthology issue. Mm -hmm. Like, there doesn't seem to be any real direct connection between any of these stories in comparison to previous volumes, where every couple of stories would have some sort of connectedness. Not all of them, but some of them would. Um, or a character would weave from in you know from one in and out of another. Yeah. Yes, exactly. With the exception of Ice Cream Man, right? right? Yeah. Um. So yeah, I guess I don't know, and I it's it's interesting because I think the next issue has no connection to anything, um, or at least any of the other stories in this volume, unless you really disagree. But this next one is 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 a pretty wild ride. So maybe we should get into that because we're we're running long on this episode because there's so much to say about Ice Cream Man, folks. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, issue issue 16 is called Tiny Lives. And I don't know, Nick, you want to sum this up really quick? Yeah. So basically with Tiny Lives, you um, have this situation where you have a single dad who's raising his daughter. He, of course, is is uh, concerned about, about doing that properly. And so we find out that he's kind of going to a support group for single parents. He's kind of reaching that point with his 17-year-old uh, teenage daughter where he's trying to let her live her own life, let her start to become sort of an independent person, uh, become an adult, uh, respect her, you know, autonomy, and, you know, not snoop and spy into everything she's doing and where she's going and if she's being safe, except. right? <laughs> right, except, except, except. except he's apparently not having the easiest time respecting those boundaries. And specifically, he goes into a room. Uh, her name is Jen. Uh, he reads Jen's diary. Um, and, 
begins to realize that, you know, uh, Jen is, um, I don't know how you want to put it, basically, you know, becoming an adult and talking about and, and, and discussing things that, um, you know, I think parents are uncomfortable to have these discussions with, you know, kids, right? About the birds and the bees listen, and all listen. of that, right? Let, yeah, I was going to yeah. say, let's let's yeah. just be explicit here. I mean, she, he's worried that she is having sex with with uh, some boys in high school because um, she keeps saying she wants. Well, to- he's just worried at the beginning. She's 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 about, she's having a relationship with with one person. Right. And and she he as she's reading her diaries is that she's ready to quote, can't unquote, stop. do it. Yes. Yeah. And as the story goes on, he keeps checking on this diary, even though he knows it's going against her boundaries. And she's she keeps talking about, oh, she did it with this boy. And now she wants to do it with another boy. And now she's going to do it with another boy, um, which uh, happens to be the son of another person that's in this single father's group, which I thought was pretty interesting. The police officer. Yeah, the police yeah. officer. Mm-hmm. Um but what she means by doing it isn't necessarily what you and I may think, Nick. Right. It's actually fucking murder. <laughs> right. And her talking about going to the store to buy some more you-know-whats for protection, she's not talking about, um, you know, uh, protection. She's talking about knives. She's talking... Yeah, we're not about, talking condoms. Right. We're talking kitchen knives. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is... It's such a fucking left turn because W. Maxwell Prince, over several journal entries, really carefully, firmly sets the scene that you think this is an issue of a dad struggling to deal with his daughter's sexuality. Um, Yes. He really layers it on there pretty thick to where you're like there's 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 no moment in your mind where you're actually even considering that this is about anything else it's really carefully layered and then you find out she's killing people and um what's really interesting and we always know that w maxwell prince loves to play with form and here a lot of that is being shown through um the journal entries um you know, the form of the journal entries. Uh, you've got a quote of the day at the top, which is really interesting because when you interpret it alongside each of the uh, journal entries, there's sort of a weird correlation. I think there's one um, about um, by Amelia Earhart, which is about, oh, like a woman should be free to do whatever she wants and nobody should get in her way. And that's mm-hmm. the posting where Jen is talking about how, you know, at least the father thinks that she's going to go um, you know, have sex with six or seven or eight different guys uh, in her school. Uh, and then the following post where we find out it's about murder, uh, it's a Charlie Manson quote, um, which again, <laughs> yeah. like, it's not hard to do that. It's also kind of funny because, you know, if you've ever been someone who owns a, a, a day planner, like a lot of these day planners have like a like a special like section built in that like maybe two percent of people use and everyone else is like fuck you i wish i just had more space to write in what's going on on my day going on Mm -hmm. and in this in this um like diary or planner like that section is called like a mood board and you write down like three different feelings (laughs) and like that struck me as like the oh this is the dumb thing that like two percent of people actually use and everyone else goes fuck this um and and yeah there's there's definitely a correlation there like when she's like oh you know i'm gonna go out and you know with this one guy it's like oh anxious and scared and then with the 
with the post that correlates with the the Manson quote, it's like, I'm I think it's hungry for blood is what it says. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, hungry for blood. And it's 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 interesting because like the the leader of of the support group for the dad and and also what he sees on TV when he sees Ice Cream Man on TV when he comes home is like this idea of. You have to support your kids unconditionally. You have to love your kids unconditionally. You have to trust your kids, you know, unconditionally when they're when they're reaching this point. And I think this issue basically takes that as far as it can go and says, okay, if you have to do those things and you find out that your daughter is going around murdering tons of people, like are you going to push that to the limit? Like, are you going to support her unconditionally? Um, you know, <laughs> right. Because that's really what this issue asks. And, and, yeah. and you reach a moment where he, the dad discovers um, what she's been up to. He confronts her. Um, you, you realize that the police officer's son has already alerted the authorities um, about what's going on after she stabs him. Um, and the dad instead, uh, basically commits the murder and then says that he's basically going to take the fall, um, for what's happened. And, and the key thing there is that he's like, I didn't realize how easy it would be. I didn't realize how freeing it would be. Right. Um, and it becomes more prevalent as, you know, later in the issue, it looks like uh, his daughter, uh, Jen, has gone off to college and she's met some boy who she's probably going to mm-hmm. kill, it seems mm-hmm. like. Um, and she gets a letter from her dad and he talks about how he's going to die in a couple of days because they're going to kill him. And uh, his like his daughter has eclipsed him, has become bigger than him. Um, she like and he realizes that has given him the ability to. Uh, like see beyond infinity his soul will be on it will be greater than anything else um, and he tells her that anything that she does is pre-approved by him he says you are young and life is beautiful I'm ready now dad and like it's it's this I feel like it's this weird cult mentality almost of or, or serial killer mentality where people they they commit a murder and I say this as someone who's listened to a bunch of podcasts about <laughs> serial killers like they find this moment where killing someone frees them in some way and they feel like there are no rules to the to the world anymore because they've been they're able to do anything that they want um and it's it's wild and dark but I think the thing that's important here is that ice cream man put this idea in the dad's head right in the pages before the dad goes out to kill or goes out to find jen killing this boy right. he put this idea in his head that you should love her conditional unconditionally support her no matter what do whatever you can to you know basically raise your children up and so he does and i think that like had essentially broke him and turned him into this serial killer monster well and it's also really twisted because if you look at the letter that the father writes to the daughter at the end if you were to extract it from the context of being someone who's on death row uh, and is going to get capital punishment, um, and if you were to remove those, if you were to remove that context and just look at it as like a oh a father writing to his daughter who's now off of college and he's like oh I'm so proud of you, you know you're going to go on to do great things, you're going to be bigger or better than anything I've ever been, and you know. Um, you know, I hope all of your dreams come true and I'll support you in anything like it's maybe the sort of letter that a lot of kids would love to receive from their parents, you know, when they go off to school right. and it's very inspiring and heartfelt. 
But when you put it in the context this <laughs> of this, of what's going on in the story, it's turbo fucked up. Um, yeah. And th- this one just happens to you know, contain a whole paragraph about how this dad's fine that he's going to die and his soul's going to float out into the infinite blackness of void where good and evil meet at one singular point. Right. You know, it's, and it's, it's like, just totally normal, inspiring right. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, if you remove it from that context, you're like, oh, wow, like what a great parent. He's so supportive and he's you know whatever but like but when you fail to remove it from the context it's like oh my god like what the hell yeah it's it's very twisted it's very morbid um there is this this bit that i do want to pull out here because like i said he's going to he thinks he's going to travel beyond like or travel at light speed to that final place where it's blacker than black where all things good and evil meet at a single point and merge into one indistinguishable idea no that that could just be you know you know wild person who's about to Charlie die and stuck thoughts yeah. yeah or it could be a representation of what caleb and ice cream man are <laughs> maybe that's what i'm thinking but oh. who knows mm. who knows who knows mm. that's just me maybe extrapolating a lot from a very simple uh statement in the book but um that is the last issue in this volume um and Man, oh man! I I think that there I think that there is a central theme here. But Nick, I want to hear your thoughts on this volume on the whole. Like, what what were you thinking um, when coming out of this volume? Right. So in Tiny Lives, the bear, the teddy bear, appears again. Now it's just in Jen's room. Um, mm-hmm. We also have a pencil holder in Jen's room. That's ICM brand. There's a ice cream mm-hmm. stencil drawing on her wall. Um, and, yeah. and all of that kind of gets at, for me, what I think is is sort of at least some sort of an, an ongoing theme, because I look at this volume as a whole and I say, um, is there an ongoing narrative going on? Is there anything that sort of pervades these issues in the same way that volume three was very much an ongoing narrative? And I think it's easy to say no. I don't think it's that hard to sort of look at this and like have a gut check that says no, like this is all sure. self-contained and separate. But I I do think, and as we've gotten at this a little bit earlier, I do think that if you look at it from just a pervasiveness of Ice Cream Man, whether it's the teddy bear, whether it's the pencil holder, whether it's the the cooler and the five and dime, um, whether it's... um, you know, the the advertising over the cashier's counter and the five and dime. Um, it's mm-hmm. this idea that he just seems to be everywhere and seems to be so deeply incorporated into people's lives, almost like on a consumer level. He's he's almost like a brand or a franchise now. And yeah. so he doesn't have to uh, worm his way into people's lives. He doesn't have to put on a disguise and coax people to do one thing or another or get his hands dirty. Like for mm-hmm. me, this volume says he is so deeply enmeshed in people's everyday lives that this shit's running on autopilot now. Like he is not having to go out there and meet people and convince them to do something or take something from him or whatever, or, mm-hmm. or you know, or mm-hmm. sell ice cream to people with bugs in it. Like that doesn't have to happen anymore. This shit is like running itself now, which yeah, again, you have to parse a little bit to kind of reach that point, but I, I don't think it's that wild of an idea. And that's kind of what I see going on here. He has a diminished presence, but that shouldn't be 
a moment where you're less concerned for people. That should be a moment where you're way more concerned for people because he doesn't have to do that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that's maybe the bigger, the bigger narrative like theme here is that ice cream man is everywhere. Um, It's, I mean, obviously he keeps showing up in stories though, right? His face is there at least at some point, but I don't think it's like you said, he's directly involved. He doesn't have to be on the ground to actually be doing anything, right? Because who knows if, you know, in the last issue, Ice Cream Man was talking to just this da- this one single dad or was he talking to everybody? Was he on a network or is it just a one-off thing? I think that's constantly the question that we have about Ice Cream Man is, is how much influence is he pushing and at what point does it become too overt? Right. Like, I think going back to the werewolf story, like way back in what was it, volume one? Yeah. Where, you know, yeah. the little girl, is, you know, that that to me feels like playing on myth and people's worry. And instead, it seems like in this volume, it's playing more on like the intricacies of the human, like the modern human mind. Right. Like mental illness and, and proper parenting and, you know, um, even even just the loss of a loved one. You know, I mean, that's that's something that's not necessarily new, but it, it I think in the way that this that paul was trying to find uh you know some sort of salvation or an answer um it was because of the loss of uh, due to cancer right that's a fairly modern thing in 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 regards to in comparison to like a you know a werewolf which is not necessarily a new thing right um so i don't know it's it's maybe that's the that's the kind of theme but i was looking at each issue from the perspective of like each i think each issue was about in in image or maybe not even subverting expectations but it was like each story being about something that could be interpreted about x that actually becomes a story about y right so like the the palindrome issue is you know a story about loss but then i think it becomes a story about like almost acceptance in a way Mm. um the story uh you know about uh you know in the 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 next issue the story about crosswords uh, yeah, about crosswords is you know a story about like a broken marriage that actually becomes about how, like a horrible thing reuniting a family um and you know lily lily's story is all about you know wanting not wanting to become your parent but then fulfilling that destiny um and it's 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 interesting because maybe, maybe that's not like an original like thought-provoking thing but um compared to other volumes of this story where it seems to just be outright madness these issues i think have have bigger like stories where x becomes y where a thing becomes another thing each of these people are transformed um in each of the issues and i know that that's maybe the case in some of the previous issues but the fact that this whole volume is about people transforming and and moving um is is really interesting um to me because i don't think that that fits the theme of ice cream man on the whole well i think also if you look at some of these and it's not to say you don't see these themes in other stories i'm sure in in other uh issues but i think with some of these stories you have this idea that um obsession or um fixation can sort of like it's a it's a it's it's a machine that powers itself once it begins. Sure. So the sure. moment that you fear that you're becoming your parents, or the moment that you think you've noticed something, you know, about yourself that you 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 think you've seen in them, like if if you're someone who obsesses or fixates on things, um, myself included, uh, that 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 train drives itself from then on out. 
Like sure. you don't need someone else actively running that. You don't need someone else coming into your life and and giving that idea a, a shot in the arm. Like that is a yeah. that is a self running machine at that point. And so I sort of yeah. see that in that story. Uh, if if you look at the story about um, you know Rita um and Earl, like this idea that you know you're you're bored or you're not actively um you know, engaging yourself or filling your day with things like, yeah, you start to like pick apart or dissect different things going on in your life because there's, you know, there's nothing else that you're, you're actively doing to keep your mind busy. And so your mind starts Mm -hmm. to like, Oh, what are those, what are those uh, contractors up to? Oh, you know, they're, they're smoking weed. So what's to say they're not doing X. What's to say they're not doing Y, right? Like that, that, that just snowballs that builds on itself too. Um, yeah, I, I, I think if you, or even with, with the diary again, like that obsession over, Oh, I need to learn more. I need to see where this is going. Um, yeah, you know, I, I don't know. Again, if if you looked at volumes before this, would would you find this? Um, probably. I don't know, but I think it's certainly more on display here. Yeah, um, yeah. I I think you know. I think you make a good point. I think the the obsession or the focus that people have in this volume seems to be pretty pervasive. I mean, of course, the title of the of the volume being "Tiny Lives," maybe that does kind of lean towards the 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 more anthology style of this book, which is probably why we're not getting as much necessarily like Ice Cream Man continuity. But and it's also I do the like name that of the movie of, like, on the marquee. Did you see that? And yeah, I don't know what yeah, to do with that. Yeah. I don't know what to do with that. Well, no, no, no. So I, each each of the volumes are named after one of the issues in the mm-hmm. volume, right? That's how it's been since the mm-hmm. beginning. So I don't know if there's necessarily more to read into that. Oh no, I um, meant like it being on the movie the the marquee you know the movie theater i i didn't sure. know if there was anything more to to pull that out of the fact that that was the sure. movie they I mean, went to see i don't know yeah that's true that's true um i'm not i'm not necessarily sure but yeah anyways this is a uh, i don't know it's another another volume of ice cream man that uh made me feel pretty unsettled last night as i was rereading it so um i don't know <laughs> any 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 last thoughts on this volume Nick? yeah i mean i i think the takeaway i had when i finished it um yesterday afternoon because i definitely was not going to read it right before bed uh, i guess we all have to make our own choice our own choices as adults yeah, yeah. I made and my i'm own gonna decisions. i'm gonna respect your independence as as an individual uh, in making that choice michael um i think i think it's easy and i think it's tempting and it certainly was for me to finish this volume and say maybe this wasn't one of my more favorite volumes uh, especially because I, I did okay. really enjoy three. I thought three was, don't get me wrong. Like I think two after like one set, the right foundation for the anthology, I think two really hit the ground running with that and did some wild things. And I really liked that. Yeah. And then three said, all right, we're going to maybe be more of like a conventional serialized story a little bit. It was, you know, it was both equal parts serialized and, and, and episodic. And I liked that too. Um, I think it's easy to look at four and say that it's like hyper episodic, that it's too episodic, um, that it doesn't have that blend of at least giving you like 80% episodic, like 20% serialized or something like that. But I mm-hmm. think it's way too soon to talk when it comes to this. Yeah. I, I look at volume four as like I've talked about with other volumes. It's like each volume sets a foundation and then the next volume 
knowing that it's already set the foundation starts to play with it and subvert it. And I think that it's hard to judge this volume really honestly until we see volume five, because I think this is setting something up for five. I really do. And and as, as you brought up earlier, like this idea that sometimes you, you have alternating volumes to step away from something like um, maybe this is the step away from three so that three isn't ever present in our mind when they go back to it. And I've seen this with like Southern bastards too, right? Like you have the present story about the old guy and his daughter coming home from like Iraq or whatever. But then we take a whole Mm -hmm. step back and we do a whole origins trade about what, like um, the coach coach, whatever his name is. And so you Mm -hmm. get some distance from it and you get some separation and that gives you that sort of um, space that you need uh, to, to sort of separate from something before you return to it. And I think that that's what's going on here. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I think that they, you know, if, if we're going like odds and evens, I think the odd volumes are going to end up having more continuity. Yeah. I mean, this is all yeah. just my no, assumption. No, that sounds, that's um, what I think. Even if you look at, even if you look at volume one, there's still continuity in there, right? Like Caleb is introduced there early on um, just to establish that there's something weird going on here, just beyond like this horror anthology. Mm-hmm. So um, it'll be, you know, we will definitely have to look at volume five. I think the next thing we also should do is do a look at all those quarantine comics that they did. Um, Cause the last one came out pretty recently as of the recording of this episode. And um, I think that there's something to be said. They're all like four pages each. I picked up all of them just because I'm a sucker. And uh, so maybe we should do a quarantine special mini sode where we talk about all of those um, before volume five comes out, even though I think that those issues are those little quarantine issues are going to show up in volume five because they're supposed to be backups Hmm. for like the next few Hmm. issues. But um, we'll see either way. Uh, Maybe we'll take a look at those um, in the coming weeks. But I'd be curious to know if any of those play into it um, or if they have any kind of relation because they're only like four issues or four pages. So. Be, I'd be really curious to know um, what they what they planned on doing and what those stories are about. So, um, yeah, I don't, my, my final thought, you know, takeaway is I, I like this anthology thing. I don't think it's 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 more Ice Cream Man that, you know, begs more questions than it answers anything. And I think that's what makes this series great is the slow pacing in answering questions and establishing stories, showing the full range of potential with the Ice Cream Man as this horror individual um, kind of like a Freddy Krueger that just kind of shows up and has unchecked power to an extent, <laughs> right? Because right. I think that there's there's an interesting thing to wonder is what is Ice Cream Man getting out of this? And if he wanted to just kill everybody, he would just kill everybody. But that doesn't necessarily seem to be his point. I think he is feeding off of emotional distraught like or like like negative emotions. And so he puts people through all these horrible things in order to somehow feed off of it and i don't i don't know what the answer is right because we haven't we haven't figured out what the fuck is happening um and that's why we keep coming back to this book um despite the very clever writing bits i think you know like the palindrome issue was great the the neapolitan three stories in one issue was fantastic i mean w waxville prince and 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 everybody who was working on this book you know martin morazzo chris o'halloran good old neon i think they are really trying to push the boundary of what's capable in comic books as well as what makes a good horror story. And I think they've succeeded in both of those. I mean, I don't know of another book that's trying to do weird shit like this um, other than, uh, you know, 
there's handful of like panel syndicate books and stuff like let's go read private eye nick and get the full hardcover editions that don't make any sense to read on your table but um you know, you know but that's what i'm saying like i think that there's this is one of the rare books that's you know it's being published by one of the big 10 and they're really pushing the boundaries of comics and i think that's why we keep coming back to it yeah yeah absolutely so I guess un- until next time, you know, what, like I said, we, we will do some research on our end to see if we want to do an episode that's just about the quarantine comics that came out um, that uh, W. Maxwell Prince worked with a bunch of, uh, he worked with Martin Morazzo and he also worked with a bunch of other indep- independent creators to do some Ice Cream Man stories um, that were about four pages each. Um, so we'll, we'll let you guys know. It'll probably be, if we do it, it'll be much later this year. But anyways, let's let's wrap this thing up because we've already gone too long. Uh, you can follow us all on Twitter. You can follow Nick at death star plans you can follow me at mike rappin and you can follow the show at ircp podcast and on instagram where i try to post sometimes um this show and our many subscriber only episodes are powered by fans like you on patreon you can join now at patreon.com forward slash ircb podcast and if you haven't already please rate and review our show five stars would be great on apple podcasts or spotify or stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts Don't forget to join us on Discord where we have our semi-regular every two or three weeks book club that we've been doing on there where we sit down and talk about a book. Uh, And make sure to tell a friend or two about the show if you haven't already. It really means a lot for you guys to spread the word. And, you know, just even just posting about things on Twitter and Facebook and everywhere else um, really, really helps the show just to get get it in more people's ears. Um, Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music. We can't thank them enough. Xander is a good guy, a great GM. He's a fantastic editor and just someone who's fun to be around. He edits the show. Thank you so much, Sander. Thank you to Nick for sitting down and talking with me about Ice Cream Man. Or should I say, thank you so much, Nick, for bending my arm and making me read this series to begin with. And now I can't stop. Um, (laughs) This is a lot of fun. Uh, Thank you to everyone out there who listens to the show and hangs out with us on Discord. It's been fantastic. And until next time, stay healthy. Comics are good. And so are you.